from the hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. Praise God. So good morning, everyone. It's Nigeria's independence. And so, um, and everyone who knows me knows that I love this nation. I love this nation very, very, very dearly. Amen. But you see, um, I, I'm going to teach something this morning that I consider very simple, very basic. Very basic. I mean, spiritually very basic. But for many of us, that's where our, where our strength to believe is sustained. Um, until you understand some of the few things we're going to be discussing this morning, it's going to be difficult within a climb like Nigeria to keep faith. So sincerely, um, now, and this is me, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't try to, I don't try to magnify things beyond what they are sincerely, but this is me trying to bear with the infirmity of the weak. <clears throat> and this is me saying that many times when you cannot see from where God sees and you cannot see the way God sees, you cannot act the way God expects you to act. And sometimes I think um, where the real problem is, is we don't know the extent of the things that damage when we cannot act the way God wants us to act. Many times I think we live too personally to understand the implication of taking decisions only on the strength of what capacity we have. And believe me, God, even God does not expect you to take decisions outside the capacity you have. And yet, what God holds against you is the fact that he has provided opportunities for you to grow in capacity. But many times your humanity will not let you embrace those opportunities. Sincerely, if I stopped this service here, I think I've delivered the heart of God. Believe me. Uh -huh, so, that's, that's now the reason why. So, people said we don't understand it yet. So, that's the reason why we need to push it through. Everything I'm going to say in this service is going to be seated around these things that I've said. All right? Um, to find strength to do the will of God in seeming contradictory circumstances. The principles that I'm going to teach this morning is what I have found. Because I'm not teaching something I've only studied. It's what I have found to be the source of the renewal of my strength and faith in God in circumstances like Nigeria. Nigeria is not just a nation, it's a circumstance. Do you, does anybody understand what I just said? Nigeria is not just a nation. This nation is a circumstance. If you are, you know, we used to have, we, we used to have um, a joke when I was in the university. We say to ourselves that in every other university in Nigeria, they ask themselves, oh boy, how is book? I study. Are you reading? Are you the jack? If you graduate for ABU, the question is, how is work? Because ABU was work. I mean, it was work. You were studying things you knew that you were never going to need in this life. People stopped studying it in the 1950s. And so the, the focus was for you to pass exam, not for you to know the course. And that's how Nigeria is. Nigeria is a circumstance. It's a situation. And everyone who lives in Nigeria is in a situationship. 
Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I mean, I, I only learned that, that term last week. That's how I'm not in touch with this world. Was last week I realized that there are relationships called situationship. By the time they defined it to me, I didn't know whether I wanted to repeat the word with my mouth. So, when you sit in, and I please want you to be able to take these principles and play them in every aspect of life. Because to arrive at being pleasing to God, when we fail at this understanding, we fail to sustain the capacity to act the way God wants us to act. And when we fail at that level, we fail on every level as he has to do the will of God. And I went on to say that the real problem is we don't know the extent of the implication of our wrong actions or inactions. The real problem is we have become too individualistic, we have become too personal, and we believe that the consequence of our actions end with us. So where do I live is a matter of my convenience. Not a matter of faith. And you need to take note that it was James who said that everything that was done outside of faith is sin. That's the reason why the Lord upholds a principle called conscience, even though your conscience is not the measure of God. I don't burn my time there. But everything done outside of faith is sin. And so if your conscience does not permit you, even if it is within the will of God, Paul said that if you act against your conscience, you will be in sin, even if the action is right. That's the degree to which God does not want to act beyond your capacity. Ah, did somebody understand that? Did somebody understand that? So even if it was right to do, because everything done outside of faith is sin, God expects beyond the action into the fact that the action is propelled by your believing. So God would rather go for the fountain of your believing than go for your actions. So that even if your action, okay, Paul used the situation in scripture called meat sacrifice to idols. And maybe those of us who live in the north understand it a bit better. Because if you live in the north and you lived within the context that is still quite communal, what happens is during Salah, just like we do during Christmas, during Salah, and some of you don't know the Salah ritual, you can't cut a ram until the Salah prayers have been said. You, you should know now. You, you, have a lot, you have a few Muslims in Lagos. You know, so you can't cut the ram until the Salah ritual prayer has been done. So literally, Salah meat is meat sacrificed to idols. Literally. Literally. It's the closest example of it that you have. Are you following me? And even in the early church, I need you to understand this because we don't understand how crucial your believing is. Every other thing we say will pass over your head. You will literally feel... Oh, these guys are just talking deep spiritual stuff. And this morning, I intend to be very basic. I don't, I don't want to be deep. I just want everybody to understand what God wants from us. What is the hope set before us? 
How does that hope become an anchor for the soul? How does it keep you steady? Why does God require hope? So God won't have it if it is not springing from the fountain of your believing, even if it is right. So Paul, in the story of meat sacrifice to idols, said this. He said, one believer believes that it is alright to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Another believer believes it is not alright to eat meat sacrificed to idols. That to eat that meat literally means I'm serving the altar from which the meat was released. Until today, the church is split on those two decisions. Now, if you ask me for theology's sake, on every subject matter, God has a position. Every. There is always the superior thought of God in every subject matter. And whether you agree or not, because I'm the one holding the microphone, you have to agree with this even if it's hypothetically. Are you following me? Because I, that's not my subject today, so I can't go into the theological proof of that. We'll burn the rest of the time in the service. Now, if you read Paul, you'll find out that Paul says that there's no meat on earth that can defile you. Later on, he said it talking to his son, Timothy. So you will get Paul's true position when he's locked in a room with his son. And he's saying to you, there's actually no meat that is sacrificed to any devil in the world that defiles a Christian. He said that meat is sanctified by prayer. Thanks. That the moment I lift up meat and I say, Lord, thank you. Whatever I can taste on. Because the owner of the ram has more right on the ram than the person that defiled the ram by prayer. Do you understand me? The earth is still the Lord's. Now, of course, you know that scripture calls you not to be unaware of the devil's devices. If you don't understand how powerful your thanksgiving is, maybe you should carry this in your pocket. As an understanding of how powerful... The real problem is you don't understand how powerful your... Thank you, Lord. Is That you can end covenants on earth by just lifting a thing and saying, thank you, Lord. The moment you say, thank you, Lord, you have sanctified that thing to a higher altar. The altar to which it truly belongs. Even the meat will be happy that, that you are the one that ate it. Because even the meat knows that the mouth that is chewing it is a higher purpose than the hand that defiled it. Do you understand it? And yet, let's return back to the church. And yet in the church, the conscience of some will not let them. I was talking to one of my friends and she traveled to one of the southeast um, nations. And you know, some of those nations have their idols everywhere. Everywhere. The person says she was praying in the spirit everywhere she entered. And when she entered that room, she said, take off this thing. Take off that one. Take it out. And then I said, if it's me, I went inside the place and sleep. I, I, I mean it. I will sleep well. No devil presses me in the night. The, the devil has not been born. The real difference is what you know. Because the power in the action is the faith with which the action is done. Do you understand my point? And yet, if that kind of a person who believes that they should take off the idols from the room and take off everything because of how powerful idols are, if the person makes the mistake of sleeping the way I sleep without knowing the things I know, 
The deliverance that we follow will not be small. I live in a territory full of major demons. I cannot. Please, let's move on. Do you understand the point? Now, if you understand that point, it then tells you that though eating meat is right, a person whose conscience does not permit him to eat that meat. Scripture says, if the person eats the meat, so two of us can be eating the same meat, and one person is in sin, the other person is in righteousness. Does it make sense to you? So nothing in the New Testament is relative. Everything in the New Testament is absolute. And yet, God makes room for us to transition into fresh levels of capacity by our believing. So what God is going to judge every Christian for, not every man, what God is going to judge every Christian for is our refusal to commit ourselves to increase our capacity by learning new paradigms of believing. Because if the guy who could not eat that meat arrives at the expansion of capacity by the shifting of the paradigm of his believing, then what happens is that the next time he sees meat sacrificed to idols, he is now able to partake. That means that the boundary of your conscience can enlarge, but is not permitted to go beyond the line of the truth of the word of God. Anything that goes beyond the line of the truth of the word of God now makes for a sad conscience. And God would rather that you never partook than you arrived at the conscience line and expanded into a sad conscience. See now. Are you following me? That's part of the reasons why you must... Now, that's also one of the effects of acting... That's why. That's one of the effects of acting against conscience. Every time you act against conscience, you say conscience. And a said conscience means you don't... You, you learn to ignore your conscience in future references. That's what a said conscience is. So the first time I'm in front of a circumstance, I, I truly know how bad this thing is. By the tenth time I'm in front of that same circumstance with nine previous times of compromise, at this point, it does not feel like a compromise. And at that point, what happens is that evil or wickedness finds a dwelling in you. So every time Satan wants to get something done, that relates to the area to which your conscience is said, all he needs to do is snap a finger and you're there. And it's the same thing with godliness. Solid food belongs to the mature, who by means of use. That means the more you do godly things, the more your systems get used to knowing until you wake up one day and like Paul, you say, ah, a dispensation of the gospel is committed to me. And I realize that whether I want to preach the gospel or not, I cannot but preach the gospel. So if I preach it willingly, then a reward is waiting for me. He said, but if by compulsion, that means there's a way my systems have worked in righteousness. That once I see the opportunity to do righteousness, whether I want to do righteousness or not, people understand slavery to sin. People don't understand slavery to righteousness. 
Paul explains it in Romans chapter 6. He said, to whosoever you submit yourself to obey, to him you become a slave. That means I cannot be struggling to do the will of God and slaving to do the will of Satan. Because the slavery of it makes that I do it, I mean, literally, willing, subconsciously. So the real target is to arrive at a place where I can do godliness. Like that. So what God holds against any believer is our refusal to expand the capacity of our believing by knowledge. Second Peter 1 3. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you according. Sorry, second Peter 1 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you according to the knowledge of Him. So you increase capacity to do when you know more. That's why God didn't, it wasn't the idolatry or the adultery of Israel in the wilderness that provoked God. He said because the word that they heard was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. That means God knew they were adulterous people. God knew they were idolatrous people. Because of his covenant with Abraham, he looked beyond their idolatry. He looked beyond their adultery. And then their encounter in the wilderness became a teaching that God expected that as he taught them by the signs he left with them in the wilderness, they will abandon their adultery. They will abandon abandon their idolatry and then learn the ways of God. It was that they were not learning the ways of God that frustrated God and he swore in his anger. They will not enter marriage. Does it make sense? Now so, if it is absolutely important that we believe the way God wants us to believe and if the consequences of our believing are beyond us, oh, maybe I should stop there for a moment. Sometimes we don't know that the consequences of our believing are beyond us. You will know it when you start to understand that location, for instance, is not convenience. Location is assignment. That means to stay in a location where you have not been assigned is to miss your assignment. That means there were several other lives that needed to change even if it was two doors away. That you miss a lifetime of change because you didn't obey. That's why obedience must not just be key, it must be prompt. Because sometimes lives depend on it. And if truly we have arrived at believing that our lives are not ours and our lives belong to Jesus then what must happen to us, what must happen to us, is we must understand that though we don't have it all figured out, everything God instructs in our lives, everything God instructs in our lives, has consequences far beyond us. Please take note of that. And we'll go. So go with me to Hebrews chapter 6 and let's start from where that theme is taken, the hope set before us, especially in verse 18, but I'll start reading from verse 12. Hebrews chapter 6, 
from verse 12. Oh no, okay. From verse 11, please. 11. 11, I'll read all the way down to verse 20. 6, 11. Let's read first. We'll return and break down that scripture. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made the promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so, after he, Abraham, had patiently endured, he, Abraham, obtained the promise for men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them the end of all strife wherein god willing more abundantly to sow unto the, the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath so that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entered into that within the veil, whither the foreigner is for us entered even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let me start this way. I need to understand that the church has spoken a lot about a faith that does not spring from hope. And scripture defines faith as the substance of things hoped for. You can tell that I'm, I'm being very calm this morning. The reason is because I want to talk to you very sensibly, right? Uh -huh. So, Scripture defines faith as the substance of things hoped for. That means if there's no hope, there's no faith. If there's no hope, there's no faith. And yet, we have for many years taught a faith that doesn't seem anchored on hope. Because I don't know the brand of faith you learned, but because I was a Christian early, the brand of faith I learned spoke to me about a God who did it now. In fact, we tell ourselves that faith is now because now faith is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we made out of Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is. I mean, it lasted for many years. It was a massive teaching on the earth. Now faith is. That means if it doesn't bring the result now, you are not yet in faith. So our definition of faith is now. And what we didn't realize is that when the Bible says faith is substance, it actually does not mean that faith is manifestation. Hello, saints. No, no. I, okay, I was trying to be, I was trying to be not be revelational today, right? Give me this one. Can I do, do this this one? Then we can come back to talking. Now faith is faith is now. 
And so every time we hear faith is substance, what we're thinking is... But God's definition of substance in faith is not possession. It's not tangible possession. It's an, it, so you have to be guaranteed that you have it before you ever have it. And God's definition of faith is that even if after a hundred years you don't have it, you have to keep believing you have it. Even God operates like that. Actually, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, you'll find out that the first hero of faith there is God. By faith, we understand that the worlds were made by the word of God. So that the things that are physical, tangible, were not created out of anything physical. So naturally, men are not creators, we're inventors. We can manipulate what exists to achieve what we want. Now, what scripture is saying to you is that the material world was not formed by material substance. It's part of the reasons why it's been difficult for many people to understand the book of Genesis. And somehow, I can't, I can't seem to avoid it every time I teach. So, every time you heard in Genesis chapter 1, and there was, nothing appeared. Nothing appeared. Nothing appeared. The place was still blonde blank zero nothing okay i'll come again you see that you read in genesis chapter one and god said let there be and there was there was not was any was <laughs> when i found it i'm as shocked as some of you look right now so the bible told us why god made abraham the father of faith. Finally, Abraham stood and said, I got it. This is the God who quickens the dead and he's the God who calls the things that as though that means I must make it a even if it be not. Because the R is on the integrity of the God who has spoken, not on the manifestation of the thing. Now, I'll go back to Genesis because I know many of you are waiting for me to go back there. So, I'll go back there. Alright? So, you find out that it became impossible for anybody to solve the contradiction of the story in Genesis chapter 1 and the story in Genesis chapter 2. Because the stories are deeply contradictory. And if you don't learn to tell God, Lord, these things, they don't, it's like the person who wrote this story for you did not think well. No, sometimes it's good to speak with God like that so that when he proves you to be the fool, because every time he's the one who is right. The story doesn't add up. So God finishes creation on the sixth day of creation and then the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2 verse 2, that, and on the seventh day, God rested. Give, give it to me on the board. Give it to me on the board. Let me show you. Let me show you something I have tried to say for many years. And some people who have even heard it four times have not understood it. But this morning, you will understand it. Yes. And it's in English. I'm not, I'm not even going to manipulate. It's not, don't think that I'm going to tell you the Greek word seventh. There's no Greek word I will use. One. I won't use anyone. So, God had finished everything he made, right? Look at this. 
And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. Next verse. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he had rested from all his work, which God and that means there were two things that were finished here. Creation and making. Right? Verse 4. This is where you have to be careful. Just read in English. Before you read in English, let me tell you what the real problem with reading the Bible is. The real problem with reading the Bible is Bible stories. You know the Bible stories they told you when you were a child? You know that? That's your real problem with reading the Bible. That's why till next year, during Christmas, there will be three wise men. <laughs> Even though they are not in the Bible. Till next year's Christmas, wise men will meet Jesus in a manger. Even though it is not in the Bible. By the time the wise men met Jesus, he was two years old. That's what the Bible said. So, there is what scripture calls veils. When they sit in front of your eyes, they are stronger than what you are reading. There's a portion of you that believes you know the story. So, what you are doing is you are using what you are reading to confirm what you believe. Do you understand it? So, you are reading what you believe into your Bible. You are not letting your Bible. That's why James said to you, if it's the Bible you want to read, Lay aside filthiness. Then lay aside the superfluous feeling that makes you naughty. That superfluous feeling is the puffed up feeling of I know. If you don't read the Bible like a child, you believe what you were told on pulpit, you believe your Sunday school story, you will not believe God. And the problem is that God is not under obligation to confirm what he did not say. you heard this statement the next time you hold your Bible you'll be trembling that's why Isaiah 66 said this is the man I choose to dwell in the man who trembles at my word so it doesn't take the word casually sometimes that you study the Bible every day does not mean that you honor the word of God so you have to know that every time you open the book it is new Every single time. Every single time. You must say to your heart, It is true everything that's written in the book. It is true. Whatever he says he will do. It is true that he's the son of God's right hand. Oh Lord, Messiah, is true oh Lord Messiah is true Genesis 2.4 look at this carefully remove your Bible story knowledge these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created Next three words. One, two, three, go. What did you notice? 
Huh? In heavens, all right. Okay, in the making, it is now becoming earth and heavens. Okay. Ah, as Nigel took this very deep. So in the creation of heavens and earth, in the making, it's now earth and heavens. What else do you notice? Did you notice in the day? How long do you think it took God to put this together? Six days, right? And, rest on, and you rested when? Good. What are you reading? Oh. Ah. So he made the generations of the earth and the heaven in one day. Now let's go back to the theory of day in Genesis chapter 1. Let me touch something there. Right? I've taught this for many years, believe me. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. In your natural mind, it took God from Monday to Saturday. Right? Unfortunately, what scripture calls day in the six days of creation cannot be Monday to Saturday. The reason is because the sun, the moon, and the stars that were supposed to be the measurement for days were created on the third day. That means there was no measurement for first day, no measurement for second day, that means when scripture speaks about the six days of creation, it's not talking about your... That means there's another definition of day that's not chronology. Peter was the one who helped us understand how that day is defined. He said, we have... No, not, not that one. That's Second chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy to which you do well to take heed unto. Right? Like a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the day star arises where? That means this particular measure of day happens and it happens by an illumination or what is called the day star. Paul confirms it in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 that God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shown that same light in our hearts. It's coming again. Now, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness is only one event in scripture. That's Genesis chapter 1 verse 3. That means when God said, let there be light, and there was light, it's not, it is. Mm. So to bring order to chaos is not, is it's an illumination. Jesus said, if the light that be be darkness, how great is that darkness? That means when the Bible said that the earth was dark and without form, it was not just the disorder that was down here. It was that a dispensation had ended, a new dispensation had to begin. So by what order 
are we going to do this dispensation? That means light is illumination, not brightness. Are you with me? I just took you through the scriptural definition of light. So please follow me. Follow me. Is the hope set before us? And I want you to understand how it works. Because even God, when he operates faith, this is how he does it. Let me tell you, if God didn't have faith, he would have closed this earth a long time ago. People don't read scripture to find out that even God has been disappointed by his plan too many times. God ended up with a broken heart. Who are you for your heart not to break? That's the one who created everything. Set the things in order. In his sovereignty, he knows the end from the beginning. And yet, he cannot sit in his sovereignty to interpret time. So he wears his personality and travels through time so that he can bear the feeling of your infirmity. What you don't understand is that those three persons in the Godhead are speaking about the separate dimensions of God as he relates with the earth that permits God to be justified when he judges you. If not, by the law called predestination, everybody who is predestined could go to hell, will go to hell. Those who are predestined to go to heaven, will go to heaven. And God won't have the right. Paul spoke about it in Romans chapter 11. I'm leaving my subject. Let me come back to it. Are you following me? You need to If you don't understand these things, to resonate at the frequency of God and have patience for the things God has said, even in your personal life, will be impossible. So what will happen is you will resort to self-help and you will contribute to the damaging of the earth and God is forced to add you to the list of the people he must judge. It's a very serious subject for me. Now, so, back to Genesis 2.4. Are you, are you still here? You, I'm not talking fast today. Me and God, we had a deal like four days ago. I discovered that on every pulpit I stand to speak, there is so much to say. So I end up talking. And then, some people try, try, try. When they try, just cannot try. They just give up. So 30 minutes into the message, you look at some people's eyes and you know this person is out of this service. They are, they are gone. As far as they are concerned, I cannot get anything here. So, so believe me, I am right now, you see this manner of preaching that I'm doing today is so that I want to make sure that everybody follows. And how large the thing sounds does not matter as much as your heart registering that it is true. So many times we drill the depths we drill just so that you can see how true this is. So these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Okay, let me also add something. Sorry. Um, hello, saints. That that is a form of day does not mean that our day is not a form of day. 
That means one word is interpreted in English for two different realities. So you cannot going forward see day in scripture and not ask what kind of day are we talking about here? Do you understand it? That's what makes you a Bible student. So if you are justifying the service you came for this morning, it means that the next time you are, do you understand it? You come across the word day in the Bible. You say, is this the day that human beings know? Or is the day Pastor Chintok was talking about? Do you understand it? Uh -huh. And of course, that statement will change when you have now established that actually, there is a day in God whose measurement is not the rising of the sun and the setting of the same. That way, when you now start relating with days in scripture, so when you hear things like in the day of his power. All right. So let me, let me jump out of there. So these are generations of the earth and heavens in the day when the Lord God, when they were created in the day when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, comma, is that, is that right there? In the day when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, comma, verse 5, read on with me. Stop. I thought you would have seen it. It was English we were reading. Have you seen it? So, he created the earth and the heavens and created every plant of the field before it was in the earth. And he created every herb of the field ever before it grew. Why did he do it in that order? Because he had not caused it to rain upon the earth. That means if he had put plants upon the earth without rain, the natural principle. Now, listen, this verse of scripture is the key to converting intangible things into tangible. Because you must see them as finished in heaven and start the process of establishing them on earth. So that even if you die not seeing the full manifestation of what you have seen in heaven, you have trained a generation, not by speaking, but by doing, to understand what they must tend until everything God sees becomes manifest. That is the process of tending, and this honor is supposed to be the honor of the saints. So, we have to see Nigeria the way God designed it to be. And then say to ourselves, this is Nigeria created and made. But our privilege as partakers of the divine nature is to advance creation into a formed state. And many times, the transference into tangibility then requires creative intelligence that only a mind who that is linked to the mind of God is supposed to have. That's why every unbelieving attempt to make Nigeria great, even when it is attempting to copy other nations that seem to have been great already, fails. Does it make sense? God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. 
and there was not a man to till the ground. That means the plants were supposed to grow supervised. That means what God made last is what God is about to manifest first. What God created last is what he's about to manifest first. He's saying to himself, you know what? All of this will not make sense until a governor is on ground. Until someone is on ground to give it order. So that like I give heaven order. Now, one of the things people don't even know is that heaven is not an automated system. Heaven is not a computerized system. Oh, get to heaven. It's not that they will blow trumpet. Oh, they will all shout, holy. Hey, that's not how it's going to happen. My friend Tiwa is by the door. Bring her in. She's, she's distracted. Her presence is distracting me. No, no, come, 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 come. Amen. Are you with me? Come on, come on, saints. Are you with me? I thought I was trying to be normal today. Are you understanding me? So, the process of taking this as it is in heaven and playing it out the way it should be on earth is now the process that requires creative intelligence to set things in order is a thing God will not do for man on earth to set things in order is a thing man cannot do unless he knows God let me make a, let me dare to make a statement. I, I dare any one of you who is a researcher to go and check it. There is nothing that is in order today on earth that is not sustained according to an order revealed to a son of God. So every creative invention on earth literally came from the mind of a son of God. The only problem is what the Lord Jesus said in Luke 13. That the children of this world are in their, ooh, in their day, in their generation, wiser than the sons of men, than the sons of God. Why? I'll tell you why. Because by wisdom is a house built. Why? Well, I wish you heard the word wiser. So, the intelligence that rules them, the illumination that brightens their mind, they commit themselves to it to see to the end what they have imagined. But believers lack hope in the picture they see in the divine and it is revealed in their absence of commitment to the building process. Because we are double-minded. We're not absolutely sure it's going to work if we stick with it the God way. We're not absolutely sure it will produce the result we want. And unfortunately, the hope of God is not always in the results you want. That's why you should not set out on a journey with God until you ask God, what is the result you are looking for out of this? Not what is the result I want out of this. Because if you go with the result you want, 
most times the result you want is created out of the pressure of what people have already defined as success. I'll give you one out of scripture. One. Just one out of scripture. That comes to mind very quickly. I was sharing the meeting we were in yesterday and I spoke to them about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11 when you remember when John was locked up in prison and he had announced that this is the Lamb of God. I'm not worthy to untie his shoe. This is the kingdom of God that I told you is at hand. Look at him. He has come. And obviously, John, listen to me very carefully, is the hope that he said before us. John had built his hopes around a picture of what he should look like. By the time this kingdom appears, that was not the promise of God. He had built a picture of what he should look like. At this point, I must make a statement I think you should take note of. Please do not underestimate the effect of the fall and the glories of vanity on the state of your heart. Don't underestimate it. That's why day after day, night after night, you must lie before God and change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. You are the potter. I am the clay. Take me and mold me. This is what I pray. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like him. I'll tell you a bit about it. So obviously John had built a hope that didn't come from the promise of God. It came from the promise that comes with observation. So if I've announced the kingdom and he's coming to establish the kingdom, when he becomes king, I must be found somewhere around his lieutenants. So when my guys came to me and they said, look, he's beginning to gather more people than we're gathering. Hey, leave him alone. Let him increase. Because somewhere in his decreasing is my decreasing. And yet there's just that sense of hope that says, at least when he increases, I'll find a place. But in that decreasing, Herod caught John. And John was entering confidently saying, wait, when he, let his kingdom come first. We'll deal with you. And time was passing and Jesus didn't seem in a hurry to deliver him. Remind me to tell you the prophecy of, on his life. He didn't see 
And so the Bible said he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we expect another? Jesus sent the disciples back to tell him the context of God concerning what John the Baptist announced. That while the context you are thinking about is that I will take a throne, the context of God in the present, even though I will ultimately take a throne, and that's actually going to be how he will return. Though I will ultimately take a throne within the seasons of the formations of God. Oh, I thought I told you about creation, making, and then formation. Within the seasons of the formation of God, which is what I have come to the earth to fulfill, it is that I waited for man so long to unite with God, agree with God, and form together with God. And heaven knew that if we keep waiting, we would never get it right. So I have come down to show you guys what it takes to form together with God. You cannot be in a forming process with God and not desire depth. Because depth makes for accuracy and the source of spiritual power in conversion to the earth. I, I can't push that further. Maybe the Lord permits us time. If you get this message again, listen to that statement again and again, some four or five times. Because it is depth that shows you, forgive my English, the portal door that takes power that is divine and draws it into the natural. And as far as I'm concerned so far, the church only understands that when we gather. We don't understand that when we go. And the promise of the power of God is with us when we go. It is the promise of the presence of God that is with us when we come together. So when God comes in a meeting like this, he wishes that it would just be sons and himself in fellowship. No demands, just love. Because when you understand how you were born to operate, you will realize that just basking in that presence makes that when you step out, you are confident of the power you have received. How I know we have not gotten there is that when we step out there, we are not deploying the power that should have come when we relate here. And you remember I told you about the conscience. That's how the heart works. It's only what you believe that becomes active in your life. While driving this morning, I heard the Holy Ghost say to me, if we don't do something very fast about the next generation, Nigeria will lose a next generation in church. And I'm not just speaking about creatively being intelligent and doing things that will draw them into church. Because what will end up happening if we do just that is that we'll bring in carnal people into church and then the church itself will become a carnal process. And so it will stop healing the things it should heal in the world and in the nation. And yet, let's continue this John the Baptist story so that you understand it. Because people believe that if I follow the God context, then men will not gather around me. But follow the John the Baptist story. John says, are you the one or should we expect another? Jesus says, go and tell him what you're seeing. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame are walking. The dead live again and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. The line I can't forget is the poor have the gospel preached unto them. The answer to global poverty is the preaching of the gospel. Yes. Go and ask the West. 
the question of his civilization. The preaching of the gospel enlightens the mind. He says, go and tell him the context of God. Then he said, I'm blessed is he whosoever it is that is not offended in me. Then, Jesus waited for the disciples of John to leave. Then he said, what did you go for to see? Now stop. Don't think about what you go for to see. Think for a moment about the fact that Jesus didn't give commendation. He would have said to the disciples, Tell John he's doing great. If he knows how God sees him, if he knows how mighty he is in the scheme of things with God, he will not even be asking the question he's asking right now. I thought Jesus would do that. Jesus waited for disciples to go. So if the disciples went to report to John, it would literally sound like he called your bluff. Oh, you need to know this God. Oh. Especially Jesus. Woo! Thank you, people. Especially. Don't tell him I told you. The most ruthless part of the Godhead is Jesus the Christ. He's ruthless. He doesn't have patience for nonsense. The Father, deeply compassionate, the Holy Spirit, he can see that inside madness. The Holy Spirit. That's why when the earth was without form and void, he's the one they send there. That one can live in darkness. Jesus told you that his assignment is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That means every unbeliever has the Holy Ghost present. If not, there'll be, there's no repentance anyway. The power to convict for sin is the Holy Ghost. So every fornicating drug addict, an earlier dead Malian, Are you following me? You know I said I nearly had it. If you are wise, you add it. <laughs> every one of them, with every single madness they are doing, the Holy Ghost is present. So when he requires the instrumentality of his, your preaching, it is so that you can tie up what he has been saying to that unbeliever. That's why many times you need a bit of the prophetic element when you go to preach. Are you following me? But Jesus, whoo, brood of vipers. How long will I be with you? <laughs> Jesus, no nonsense. We don't fix it now. Ten faithless generation. How long will I be with you? And what he called them faithless generation for? was that they were in the sea. The sea was raging. They wanted to die. Then they ran to him. The only help they knew. I said, master, 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 help us. We're perishing. When he got up from his sleep. He said, oh, sorry, I didn't realize that the sea was badly raging. Let me show you how to do it. He turned and looked at them. It's a faithless generation. <laughs> how long shall I be with you? That means he expected that they would have Thank you, Lord Jesus. And that's why when he died and rose again, he told them, people, wait. I need to send the person that can handle you people. <laughs> he said, 
Father, it's better for you that I go away. <laughs> and yet, in that brutality, is fulfilling the will of the Father. For the Bible tells you that when he returns, he's coming back with a rod of iron to dash the nations into pieces. He's not, he, when he comes back, he's not going to be smiling. <laughs> It was in Ron Canoli's album. I heard a song. He blessed me. You know, our king will be riding on a donkey next time. <laughs> you know, our king won't be riding on a donkey next time. Some try to keep him wrapped up in a manger. Some try to keep him nailed up on a cross. Some try to keep him held down in a cold, dark grave. But he's coming on a white horse. The King of Kings is coming With fire in his eyes The King of Kings is coming He's coming to the real world He's gonna rule it with a rod of iron <laughs> he, said, he said you better bow now don't you wait until it's finally too late because when he comes back bowing is not an option so Philippians 2.10 will be fulfilled every knee don't play with the idea of Jesus these things that I've said to you is even the hope of the believer when he says let your kingdom come Back to, who are we talking about that time? John. Then I'll go to that scripture and read it. Thank you, Lord. Understand it? So, John, the disciples left. Then, John's, then Jesus started to give his own account of John. Then he said, what do you go for to see? Do you go for to see a reed shaken by the wind? And by that, he was speaking about the stability of his heart. Which was the reason why he changed Simon's name to Peter. It was an unstable read. I follow him. He said, Did you go to see a man dressed in king's apparel? Now, when he finished describing John, he said, Do you go to see a prophet? He said, I tell you, even more than a prophet. For the law and the prophet was until John. John was the beginning of the declaration of the kingdom. He said, And if you can take it, this is Elijah. I was sent for to prepare my way. Now, Jesus had these lofty things to say about John. When John was dying in prison, feeling like nothing. Oh, I wish you heard me. That was the real point I said to make. John was feeling like nothing. Because by the standards of men, John looked like nothing. John looked like nothing. And the Bible said that the angel who prophesied to his father told him, this boy shall be great. In the sight of God and the sight of men. No. So how was John great in the sight of men? When he was still a young lad, his mother woke up. That child that she waited for, she looked for him in the house, she didn't find him. They had finished mourning John, he was dead. Then somebody was coming from the wilderness. 
who crossed Jordan. And he came and said, Zachariah, I saw his son. He said, where is he? He says in the bush. They ran to the bush to see John. John, come home. He said, I'm not coming. Because if you read Malachi's prophecy, Malachi's prophecy gives you the impression that when he comes, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver and he will purge the house of Levi that they might offer an offering acceptable. John saw it and he said to himself, the day Messiah appears, he will burn down this entire thing. I am a priest. If I say in the city, the fire will catch me. That's how John went to the wilderness. That's why, read scripture. The day the Pharisees sent to ask him, the first thing he said is, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Because what, they were, what John was expecting was that when Jesus comes, he will go and burn down the entire temple. It's even the temple first, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that entire godless system that opposes religion. That's what John expected that he would cross. And I hope you know that by right, John was also a priest. Because it was biological. So he resigned from priesthood, which in Israel was a guarantee for wealth. And ran to the wilderness and will not as much as run back home to change his clothes. So the animals that die... In. So don't, don't think that it was his style. No, it wasn't his style. It was how convinced he was about the judgment of God as was revealed to him. That made that he said to him, I'll die in this wilderness rather than go to the city. He was possibly expecting Sodom and Gomorrah. So he told them, oh, so you people now know that they are come to this. That's why he came to the wilderness. The question is, how does a man get so deeply convinced of what he has seen? And guess what? And he never gets to see it in his lifetime the way he imagined it. That's where hope comes in. Because that estimation of John that Jesus was going to be king was true, but its timing had not come because God wanted the cooperation of his people in the process of the formation. The gap that seals it is what Paul spoke about in Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10 into Romans chapter 11 to say that Jesus suspended taking up that which John saw because if he did, only the Jews would have been lodged together with him. So he was advancing into Jerusalem. And everybody was shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Baruch Haba, Bezem Adonai, Hosanna. The picture was set just like the prophet said it. Behold, your king comes. Set. And if Jesus had advanced in that state, into Jerusalem, he would have brought it down. That was what he meant when they asked his disciples to... Jesus asked these guys to keep quiet. He said, today, if I ask them to keep quiet, the rocks. Because by ordination, all things have been fulfilled. Then the Bible says, Philip, 
came to him with one other disciple, I think Levi, and they said, Master, some Christians are here to see you. Some Gentiles are in the procession. The Bible says, and Jesus answered and said, now the time has come, except a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it abides alone. That means I can go forth and take the kingdoms, but I will take it alone because these Jews do not actually believe. And he used the next one week to prove that none of the Jews that were around him, including his disciples, believed. That was why he said to Peter, when you are converted, he said, Peter, that's when Peter said, whatever happens, I'm not going to leave you. He said, tonight, before the cock grows, you will deny me. He said, Peter, Satan longed to have you and sift you like wheat. And you thought he was talking to Peter. He said, but I pray for you so that when you are converted, you will strengthen your brethren. That means all of your brethren will also be sifted like wheat. So Jesus will say, if I do this procession, I will have to lead the kingdom of the earth alone. But if I let these Gentiles in, they will provoke the Jews to jealousy by arriving at the glory the Jews have waited for. Because it is ordained in scripture that the Jews will not believe in Jesus until we arrive at the glory they are waiting for. Story for another thing. That's why Paul said in Romans 10, 11, he said, has God cut off the Jews so that he can cast them away? He said, no. He cut off the natural branch and you who is a wild olive was grafted in so that by your bearing fruit, he's able to take back the natural branch and plug it back to its original tree. He said, if he did not cost him anything to put you in who were a wild olive, it would cost him nothing to take the original branch and restore it again. That was why Romans 11 finished with all the depths of the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. It's, it's that mystery that permitted us to come in. That's why Romans 12 once said, in view of this mercy of God, that you wouldn't have been a partaker of the kingdom of God that you won't have had a space in the commonwealth of God. That this Jesus is coming back to this world. And he will rule this world for at least a thousand years. As written is this world. Before this world passes away, he will sit here and show the earth how it should have been governed. But in that day, he will be king of us kings and lord of us lords. I told people, I said, I've stopped struggling to make it to heaven. I want to make it to his throne. I want to, I want, I want to be among the people that rule. And I hope you know that when Proverbs says a living dog is better than a dead lion, it means that Paul, Abraham, Timothy, David, Moses, the moment they ceased breathing, lost the opportunity to add to their works. 
even though their works are still speaking. That I'm alive means I have the right to believe and determine where I will be found when he returns. That means I can stand in a place on that line and look here and it's Paul and I look here and it's Abraham. Oh, I'm speaking about the line like you understand it. It's a finishing, it's a finishing line. It was, it was actually a vision the Lord Jesus gave me a few years ago. He gave me a vision. You know, I was coming from a season, and in that season, I noticed that I loved these casting crowns. No, not casting crowns. Um, what's this boy's name? Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in our view? See, you cannot live for a heaven that you are not convinced about. If the pictures of heaven do not become crystal clear before your eyes, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know. This is how John said in tender. Behold, one man I love the Father's love which us that we also should be called the sons of God. Belongs. Now we the sons of God and do not yet appear what we shall be like. But we know that when he shall appear, that means there's something beyond our sonship. When he shall appear, we shall be like him. He closed that statement in verse 3 by saying, and everyone that had this hope in him, that means hope is actually the reason for staying pure, not religion. Who for the joy said before him, endured the cross, despising his shame. That means the strength of patience comes from the clarity of hope. And is now set at the right hand of God. So what you cannot endure, the real problem is that you are not deeply convinced about the hope and the glory in the day of the manifestation of that hope. If not, you will find out that Hebrews chapter 11, these all died by faith, not having obtained the promise. That means they were willing to die, still believing what they believed, even if they did not embrace it. How powerful is hope? Hope is very powerful. But the real question is, how powerful is your hope? If you see some of us believing God for Nigeria the way we do, what you should be asking is, how powerful is your hope? What has God said to you? Before I close, I'll show you. It's clear that hope must be bound around the promise of God, not around your imagination. Don't go to Dubai and then come back to Nigeria and hope that. Because Dubai falls short of the standard of God for the definition of a city. And I'm not just talking glory and radiance and beauty. That's not what I'm talking about. Of course, you know that the cities of God are far more beautiful than Dubai. I'm saying even in order. Part of our failure in civilization is that we're cutting off plants to build cement. If you look at heaven, and I'm not even just talking about you saw heaven in a vision. If you look at the descriptions of heaven, you will see the blend of civilization and nature. Every civilization that is done at the cost of nature is driven by mammon. That's why those cities are now struggling to stand. 
Because when they built the civilizations, they did not know its effect on nature. Do you, you understand it? Does it make, is it making sense in your natural world? So everybody's not talking about, let's plant trees. Let's blah, 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 blah. It's because we built a civilization that was outside the order of God. If we build a civilization in the order of God, we will see a good blend. You see the pictures of heaven. You see magnificent buildings. And yet you will see it engraced in nature. The river of God flowing through the entire city. The tree of life growing right by it. You will, you will see it. You will see the bloom. You will see the green. You will see it. You see trees, trees bearing fruit. So God did not put Adam in a mechanized house. He put Adam. That's why scripture said the stone that the builders rejected. Now I hope you know that the present global building technology is technically a rebellion against God. Technically. Don't worry, my house is also bricks. Pimo has finished the message. It was actually Nimrod who said, we can't build this one with stones. Come now. Let us burn mortar thoroughly and make bricks. Then we'll build a tower that rises up to heaven. That's why God instructed David to make sure, and he followed through with Solomon. He said, it is stones you will use to build my temple. That's why Peter said, you then, as lively stones, I built up a spiritual house. So all of this, just like the Old Testament and the New, were just connotations left behind. Now I'm not saying it is sinful to live in brick houses. But God wanted to use the connotation of that story to remind the generation that the stone that the builders rejected, they'll wake up and find out he's the head of the corner. Is anyone following me? So I was telling you about how I saw heaven and how I saw that a living dog is better than a dead lion. So when you hear things like only the living can praise you, that in itself is not true. That within human context is not true. Because the dead that died in hope praise. So you must understand that the living includes the cloud of witnesses. And yet the living context in Proverbs is you who is alive. saw a picture. Let me give you a picture of heaven. It will help your hope. I saw a picture. I told you in that season that song was, what do people call their name again? Mercy me. Mercy me. Mercy me. I kept, you know, almost everywhere we went in that season are singing that song. Surrounded by your glory what will my heart feel I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all you be still, will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall, will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all I can only imagine? I can only imagine. 
And one of those days, while I sang the song, I busted into a heavenly vision. And I saw two lines. Do, do you please mind? I need to make this graphic. Can I ask all of you on this, just, just the straight line here and straight line here, please stand. Turn and face each other so that the whole church can see the picture. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate this. Now, look at this. So what I saw was that there was a line like that and the Lord Jesus was standing on the head of the line. Permit me the privilege to ask Jesus. All right. He was standing on the head of the line and then they called a person randomly. Who can I use? Who can I use? Somebody just volunteer for me and stand on the other end of the line. Come, come, ma. Thank you. What's your name, ma? Sally. So heaven calls Sally and she shows up. No, stand on the head of the line facing me. And at the moment she appears there, all of heaven begins to sing of the works she did on earth. Everything in heaven begin to sing of the works she's done. Now, as the songs are sung, does the weight of the work as measured on the scale of God is the speed and the propelling the propelling force with which she kept advancing. So, keep coming. They are singing the songs of Sally, the people she gave to, the people and then suddenly the song ends. Stop. Where the song ends, when she turns to the left or to the right, she will see an empty space there. She will enter. So, so enter that space. Can you see? Then they call another person. One more person. One more person. Come, come, darling. Please go there. Let's act that same drama. Now, so she has found her place. And forever, her authority is to the degree to which she's far to Jesus. So everybody that is this way, so these two are greater in authority than these two. Than these two. Than these two. That was what the mother of John glimpsed into when she said, permit that my children, one will sit on your left and the other will sit on your right in your kingdom and your glory. Jesus didn't say, no, there's nothing like that. Because what she saw was right. Then he said that the qualification to be here and here is a cup and a baptism. And the cup is the cup of suffering. Because Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present times, and though Jesus were a son, he learned obedience through this suffer. So even Jesus did not take this position because God likes his face. He too worked. That's the song you read of in Revelation chapter 5. Who is one? So reward will not be according to grace. Reward will be according to works. He will give to every man according to his works. But the summary of the measure of works is the cup of suffering and the baptism of death. I wish I had the time to explain suffering and death to you. But you know, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross. Then he said, he who loves his life will lose it. He said, but he that loses his life will find it. That means death is not necessarily that Boko Haram laid you down and lifted up a sword. It is that your life is laid down before anybody lifted a sword on you. The life that 
I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. That means everything I do and I've done so far is because the Son of God instructed it. So when anybody comes to me today and says, I want to take your life, I'm thinking, no, you can't take my life. It is now his life. So I shall not die, but I shall live to declare. That means you are simply saying, if you can take my life, it literally means there's nothing else for me to do for him. Because if there's something remaining for me to do for him, it is in his best interest that he shows up now and delivers me. But that's the story of the yielded. Only the yielded can say it. Only the yielded can say it. Only those who have laid down their lives, laid down their entire thing, only they can say it. I saw people come, one after the other. What's your name? Didi. So they say, Didi. And then all of heaven begins to sing the song of Didi. And then as they sing, she's approaching. As they sing, she's approaching. As they sing, she's approaching. And then the song stops. Then she turns to her right. She sees a space there. She knows that her authority is only justified by the level of yieldedness and life that she has. That means I have a privilege Abraham does not have. He has determined his yieldedness and has finished. I have the privilege to presently determine my yieldedness. That means if there's anything to live in competition for, is these spaces. Because Jesus said to the mother of James and John, said, because you have said it, I will give them the cup, they will drink it. He said, and yet I cannot determine. Because the positioning is not given in that sense. When he says it's my father, what he means is, is the custodian of the order. So it's not like the father will walk across heaven and look for the people he likes. There's no politics in heaven. It's not a democracy, it's a kingdom. And yet the king is called holy. He is called righteous. That means we don't have a tyrannical king. He's a king who subjects himself to the order he has created. God never acts against his own word. So when David said he has exalted his word above all of his names, the authority is in the name. The principle is in the word. So though God has power and authority and can exert it, he can close time by a sniff of his nostrils. Yet, even if he held the nostril to sniff, the Bible says in Ephesians 1 verse 14 that he will have to take counsel with his word. If his word says this is against your order, God will humbly remove his hand from his nose. As frustrated as he is with the earth. So when we say he is holy, we can't say it irreverently. Because you think about it as a man. How often you use the power available to you. The moment they show up and they say, you are under arrest. The first thing you are thinking about is all of the power, all of the influence that's available to you. So believers have not even learned what it takes to go through persecution with humility. If Jesus was like that, we'll be all dead. 
Because I hope you know that he traveled the journey of the cross with his power intact. God did not lift his power from him in Gethsemane. It would have made the process easier. But God will not consider it obedience until there's the ability to change the outcomes. But you chose to stay in what the Lord has apportioned for you. Knowing that no, whatever outcome you can walk can never be better than the pathway he has designed for you to walk in. Every day I remember this procession. Every day I remember it. I tell myself, a living dog is better than a dead lion. That means I still have the opportunity and the privilege. Me and Paul can be neighbors. In heaven. Meanwhile, you need to know that Paul will not have two neighbors. Do you understand what I mean? And Paul is not chosen for his neighborhood because of his name. He's chosen for his neighborhood because of his works. So I cannot wake up any day and be slothful. I cannot wake up any day and risk to live in the flesh. It's, it's too high a risk. It's too costly to my eternal place. How long will I live here and now? If Jesus tries for me, 80, 90, then I have an eternity. That's after a thousand years of ruling the present earth. With people alive and not dying. Yes, for a thousand years. Because until the thousand years is done, we cannot sing the song, Oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? The reason is because in the day you eat it, in that day you will die. And a day is with the Lord as a thousand years. So everybody who was a partaker of that tree never lived for a thousand years. So Jesus will return to rule here for a thousand years because it has to be established that by his blood, even death has been defeated. And Revelation 21, until the thousand years is done, he cannot compel the new heavens and the new earth to come because every victory of Jesus must be established on earth in time. So my question this morning is how far do you want to go on the line? Because there are some people who will live somewhere in the fringes of heaven who will not even be in the line. I studied and discovered that not everybody who makes it to heaven will make it with any authority. So heaven has citizens. Those ones live in the new earth. The people who make it to rulership live in what scripture calls the new Jerusalem. It is those people that are called the bride. Listen, this race is beyond I'm saved. It's not just I'm born again. Thank you, Sazamas. Thank you. You can sit. Now, let me take you back to Hebrews chapter 6. We set a clear picture of hope. Are you getting it? Come on, saints. Are you getting it? Let's pray in the spirit for a minute. Just pray these things in. Will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? 
of you is still lies stand in your presence. This is a moment of decision. You, you don't wait for an altar call at the end of the service to make your decisions. You don't wait for an altar call at the end of the service to make your decisions. You sit where you are right here, right now. You say to yourself, no, 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 no. The righteous will shine like the stars in heaven. That everything I live for will be invested on establishing his righteousness on the earth. That I'll live for it. His kingdom comes, his will done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, 30 more seconds. Just pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. So now when I say thank God for the breath of life, you know what it means. It's not just that I woke up this morning and I'm healthy. No, I would rather wake up on the other side if it's just the glories of what surrounds me. But when I say, Lord, I thank you for a new day. I thank you for the breath of life. What I'm saying is I thank you for an opportunity to add to the works. The privilege of life is not just breath, it's not food, it's not clothes. People live without those things and they made it to the authority realms of heaven. So, Lord, today I thank you for the breath of life. I thank you because a living dog is better than a dead lion. I thank you because I have an opportunity to add to the things. That advance your kingdom on earth. Oh, blessing and honor to Jesus, the Lion. Oh, glory and power forever. Amen. Oh, thank you, Father. We give you praise. So let's go back to Hebrews 6, 11. See this with me. Oh, I wish we had the time to pray that a little longer. Please take these things home and pray. Pray. So Hebrews 6, 11 says, and we desire that every one of you do so the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end now let me tell you the problem with hope just like it was with God and with everyone who obtained the promise is the contradictions you find in time as against the promise that has been put in front of you like John the Baptist many times because of our human expectation of the promise. Listen to this and believe me, I'm already wrapping up. Because of our human expectation of the promise, what happens is we want the promise and we want it now. And God knows that the fulfillment of the promise will depend significantly on you and how much you are willing to agree with God and work with him. Let me say this, and I trust the Lord that you understand it in one breath. That the God who didn't need Israel to lift a finger 
to deliver them from Egypt will not take them through a short path because he knows that in the day of the arriving, they must learn how to war. Oh, I wish you heard me. That means the same God who delivered them by 10 signs, who could have subdued nations in front of them by signs, will not give them a kingdom until they have learned to war and take it. That means that as far as God is concerned, at the point of the fulfillment of the promise, the promise itself is not what is difficult for God to do. To bring you to the stature that can consistently govern and sustain and administrate the promise, he requires that he stretches you through time and he permits patience to have complete work in you so that you can be complete and entire lacking nothing. So every pain you have felt in this life, in the midst of doing the will of God, was contributing to increasing your bowels of compassion, standing you with might by your spirit in the inner man, teaching you the work of faith, giving you the stability and stature, making your feet like the hinds feet so that you can give birth to great things, standing upon high places, Cutting off your lust and covetousness and bring you to the place where you can administrate on God's behalf without permitting the things that you are to affect the text of what God has come telling your trust. And many times, even the Lord wishes that he could just instruct it and you will understand it. Except that Adam had eaten the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Believe me. That's the hope you found, find expressed in 1 Corinthians 15 when Paul says, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now God knowing, sir, how difficult that's going to be. Because with every next election, we prophesy and we declare the things we have seen in the Spirit then it almost seems like Nigeria is resistant to prophecy. Everything happens until the last spot. And believe me, no good word of the Lord over this nation has failed. No good word of the Lord over this nation has failed. It is waiting for manifestation. I just showed you how Jesus fulfilled all of the principles of God and arrived at the place where he should have taken the kingdom. Then he too was forced into the patience of hope. So that when he arrived before the father, the father said to him, you know Jesus, you know you have to be patient. So sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Jesus said to the father, how will you do it? He said, I will send the rod of your strength. It will proceed out of Zion and it will go empowered to make the members of Zion rule in the midst. When Jesus returns, he's not going to rule in the midst. He's going to rule over. It is us that have been given the privilege to rule in the midst of his enemies. To justify the righteousness of God and cause all men to see that God is always true. Let every man be a liar. It's a privilege we have as sons to bind their kings with chains, their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment that is written. This honor have all the saints of God. Listen, this 
this is the zest with which we should face work. I mean, even your normal, secular, everyday life. This is the reason why somebody in this church should not rest until these guys are heard in the ends of the earth. We need to replace some useless malice. Oh, you guys do not know that God is judging it. That's what's happening. Tell them I said so. We can't lift up our voice in prayer and God will do nothing. This is Nigeria. It is God's own land. Because if we don't raise voices, somebody needs to be able to just look at a voice and say, you know what, I'm not going to rest until the ends of the earth. Hear this voice. We would rather hear, did you, were you in this praise and worship session? It was better than any party. And yet, when we go to invade the earth, we will not necessarily invade it with praise and worship. We will speak the values and the standards of God's kingdom in our songs. Oh, I was speaking with Gaze yesterday. Amazing, I mean, amazing. Gaze, amazing guy. And we're saying how that somebody needs to write a love song as a young boy. That clearly states, oh my, oh my God, you are my world. You are everything I ever want for. I can't wait to marry you so that I can sleep with you. Somebody needs to write it. Because everything that is presently written keeps that vague. Makes it look like you cannot fall in love and live pure. But the problem is, have we held onto the hope set before us with a full assurance of hope unto the end? That's what the Bible invites us to. Do we believe that we can culture an entire nation? First, do we even believe that it is the right thing? So most times we are now subjected to the voice of our humanity and we tell ourselves, oh boy, but you know, be good. Nobody will do this. If I love, you go top. That's the problem. So the problem is not even that the church needs to you know, enforce culture on the world. It is says that people are arguing in church the things that make for the knowledge of Christ. And by our ordination, when we pray, we're supposed to be subduing and pulling down every high thought and everything that exalts itself above, the, above and against the knowledge of Christ. So how do we do it? When we're sitting down in church and people, people don't even accept the God recommendation as to how to do their daily dealings. God is only true to the degree to which he does not provoke our flesh. That's where we are. I mean, that's where we are. I can't tell you how many people have lost because we decided this is the standard of God. We understand if you are not there. But can we be walking together on our way there? Because if we are not willing to walk together, then we have become judges. Yes. But if we are just willing to let everybody and anybody do anything that they feel like doing and, you know, only God can judge me. It's not in the Bible, it's Tupac. Wow. It's Tupac. So somehow, we have to be willing to, do you understand it? I, I told everybody who is around, I'm not, I don't care if you fall 10 times. I just want to see repentance in your eyes. 
I just want to know that you are still committed to this truth. I want to know that how you feel has not erased what God has said in your mind. I want to know that you can acknowledge that though I'm bound, I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But He's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy. Listen, that's why Jesus wore flesh. The Bible says he was like us, tempted in every way. That means, let me say it the way it will sound like an abomination. That means Jesus saw a babe. He liked everything about her. There was a way she could turn him on. And yet he considered the babe as against the assignment. He said to himself, you know what? I'll choose the assignment. There's a babe in the Bible I suspect. Believe me. Believe me. I thought it a long time ago. There's a babe. I, when I look at their dealings, I suspect again. No joke. You know, sometimes the problem is that we don't see the humanity of Jesus. And because we cannot see the humanity of Jesus, we think that God is placing a demand on us that is not natural life. Or he was like, I was tempted in every way. So he came to God, he possibly said, Oh, Lord, God, in this body, have out that girl. And then God says, Okay. So when you now die, what will happen to her? If you had a child, what will happen to the faith? He didn't have a child, we are worshiping his mother. If he had a child, we will put him inside glass. So God said to Jesus, save these people the contradiction of all of these things. That's why his brothers, hey, Jude was right. He said, Jude! servant of Jesus. That's his brother he was talking about. Then he added brother of James. No, you don't understand it. Him and James were brothers of Jesus. By the time Jesus entered into his exalted glory, they could not call themselves brothers of Jesus. His mother Mary subjected herself to be counted as one of his disciples in the upper room. And Jesus sees the glory that was set before him. It was nothing to put his body together. Because the pressure was real. What was running in his, this thing was blood. And the blood used to heat. Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Is my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. One more. He's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Listen to me as I round this up. That means there is no hope if there is no clear promise. Please take it home. I was going to break that down, but I perceive that the Lord will have me stop here. So. There is no hope unless there's a clear promise. 
And you don't get promise unless from the mouth of the one who has promised, sir. So I cannot take God's promise to Pimo and make it my promise. That's where a personal relationship with Jesus comes. Because you see, man does not live by every word that is written in the Bible. Man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3, Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. That means, if Jesus did not set his eye on the promise, what would have happened is that when those guys were pressing him and mocking him, he was looking at his creation. Kill him. Sir. That's why when he stood to speak with Pilate, Pilate said to him, why are you talking to me like I'm a Jew? He said, don't you know that I can release you? Jesus with blood on his head turned around and said to him, no man takes my life. I lay it down. I pick it back again. He said to Peter, shit back your sword. Don't you know that those who live by the sword will die by the sword? He said, or oh, don't you know that even now I can ask the Father? That means his power was intact. And yet, because he knew that the father wanted many sons to come unto glory. There was no amount of scorching, no amount of mocking, no amount of pain, no amount of pressure will put Jesus under the temptation to wield the power that is available, readily available to him. If he had made the mistake to shout, stop at any point, all of time will stop. you see, the reason for endurance is not so far ahead. The reason for endurance is to the degree to which it helps God fulfill the promise or, or his assignment, the picture. So there is no way we can get a generation to serve Jesus until we set a clear hope of the gospel in front of them. So the Bible says, because God knew that the contradictions were going to come along the way, right? And he knew that you were going to be expecting the promise too soon. He, he called you and said, can I use somebody? Can I use you, ma? Do you mind? Please. He called you and said, what's your name, ma? Chiwe. He says, okay, Chiwe, um, I promise you, you're going to rule and reign together with me. And I promise you that by your hands, a whole generation of teenagers and young adults will arrive at my knowledge. And it will be not only because of the things you will speak, it will be because of the life you will post. And I hope you know that's a prophetic word. It is a prophetic word. I know when I go into the spirit. I know it. And the Lord says it. Then the, you take two steps. And then God says, no, no, please come. Come. Because... I know that you are going to need the assurance when the contradictions come before the arrival. I swear by myself. Now, God does not swear because of him. It's Moses Bliss that said, you are too faithful to fail me. Right? So when God keeps his word, he keeps it for the integrity of himself. I told my guys, the one line in a song 
has plagued me for the last one month. You have a track record of keeping your word. You're not about to stop doing it now. I, I can sing it for the next year. You have a track record of keeping your word. Because you will need to remember who swore. That's where a personal relationship is necessary. Because anybody can promise anything. But does he have the integrity? Does he have the ability? Does he have a stake? Those are three things to check. Does he have the integrity? Does he have the ability, the capacity? If there are some people that will even look at you and say, I will give you a car. You will look at them. All right. Because you know that the best that will come out is your father's old Volkswagen. Or the tire of a car. Do you understand? There are some people who look at you and say, I'm going to give you a car. And just they are mentioning it, your expectation rises. Do you understand it? Because you know they have the ability. And you know what? Many times men put their hope in men who have ability but don't necessarily have integrity and don't have a stake. That means it is not God's assignment if God does not have a stake in it. So every assignment he gives you, be asking, what does God want to achieve inside this? Because if you know he wants to achieve something inside this, you know that if it fails, he, his business has failed. So you know God is fully invested in that assignment because you know he's God, he's called vested interest. Listen, the assignment will stop being personal to you when you realize that God has a stake in it. So he calls you back to swear. So verse 16 said, God, willing more abundantly to show the immutability of his counsel to them who will afterwards inherit the promise, confirmed it by an oath. He said, so that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. That's not God's judgment. It's supposed to be your judgment. Now that he has promised and he has sworn, he cannot. John Sabe, he said, what happens when that happens, when God swears, is that we have a strong consolation. Those of us who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Then the next verse said, which hope we have as an anchor. That means when the contradictions push Chinwe, if she's traveled, if she's traveled this far and the contradictions press, she's going to need to turn back and remember the promise and remember that he swore by himself. Listen, let me say something that will shock you. God can promise and swear and it will never come to pass because of you. Because God is not only swearing and promising on the basis of his ability. The reason why he had to do it with you is because he needs your cooperation. That's why it is called take my yoke upon you. 
He bears the yoke in the spirit. You bear its manifestation. The day you decide that yoke will not be born, there's no promise. At least not for you. Do you understand it? And the frustrating thing is, if you fall here and do not continue the assignment, the person you will end up fighting next the most is the person who God will go back to and give the same assignment to because his word will not return to him void. It can be void in your life. And sometimes God makes sure. He makes sure that the person who ends up fulfilling the assignment is beside you. Sir, so I tell you something and I close. David killed Goliath with a sling and a stone. And afterwards, never used a sling and a stone. When God brought Israel out and was dividing the lands to them, the people in the army whose war, weapon of warfare was sling and stone were Benjamites. I'm coming. The Bible says that the Benjamite was accurate with the sling to the hair's breadth. Do you mind, Chingwe? Can you pick one, one hair on your head and stand it straight? That means if a Benjamite wants to toast Chingwe, go tell her, baby, lift up that hair, lift it, lift it up. And he's, and he's doing his thing. And the girl says, honey. And he says, come on, don't you trust me. Honey, say, come on, don't you trust me. And then she's watching and he goes, Shoop! and cuts off that hair. That's what a hair's breath means. That's how accurate Benjamites were with the slings. Now, other tribes had swords. Other tribes were spares. Go and read Chronicles. You see it. Beautiful. Read, read it. Before Judges. Just read. Those were. So every tribe had their specialization. Benjamin's specialization was a slave. Then God makes Saul, the son of Kish, a Benjamite king. But as at this time, he had lost his ability to slay then God goes to Judah who were shepherds of the road and starts to teach a boy in the backside of the desert how to use the sling that Benjamin dropped. So the reason why Saul hated David was that he was seeing what was ordained for him to have fulfilled being done by another. That's why the greatest persecution of the rising church is the failing church. You're not about to stop. Is anybody learning anything today? Understand it. So God can promise and it will fail in your life. Does not mean God has failed. Sometimes it's the patience of God that pains me. So when Saul fails, it will take him another 17, 18 years for David to mature. In fact, Saul will be the instrumentality by which David will mature. Because God needed to train David and train his army. But David will not get up in the afternoon and say, guys, do you believe me? I'm going to be king. 
it is the story of how Saul was persecuting him that made people think there must be something here then everyone who didn't find a place came to him then they started learning the pathways of the desert while they thought they were running away from Saul God was building capacity oh that was the word of the Lord to somebody So I learned oneness with God. And I learned that in the days of my contradiction, ah, I did not acknowledge both of you. I love you sincerely. I'm just realizing. In, in the days of the contradiction, there has to be a promise. God swore to me. Some of you will close from this service and return to God and say, Lord, I swear to me. And I permit you, truly, it's scripture. Lord, assure me that this assignment I see, this calling that I sense, assure me that nothing, that you have too much of an interest to watch it fail. Because in the day of the contradiction, if you don't know the patience of contradiction, you will know compromise. So if you believe you have a stake in Nigeria and the Lord has spoken to you concerning this nation. Every time something fails, every time the poor are not breathing, turn back to the promise. Every time you feel the press, every time you feel the pain, turn back to the promise. Who has promised? How vested is he? How much power is available to you? Lift up your hands everywhere and let's bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. You have a track record of keeping your word. You're not about to stop you. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org. 